1: Hey, question. Is it, is oh. it teta-te or teta-tet?
0: I say tete tet
1: I thought it was teta-te. No, it's I don't just know. two tets, I think. Or is it te-a-te?
0: tete
2: te I'm pretty sure it's a tete tet <laughs> Tērā te Kato, Welcome to Gone By Lunchtime. We're coming to you live from Te Puke. Uh, either today,
0: or yesterday, or at some unannounced moment in the future. The sun is shining. I'm I'm in a bath of kiwi fruit. Hmm. There is no place in the world I would rather be.
1: Speak for yourselves. I'm like really grappling with the cost of holiday and crisis. I have to stay in Auckland.
2: Uh, I'm joking. Obviously, we're actually in Vladivostok because we've not been banned. <laughs> <laughs> we've not been banned, Annabelle and about and been. Annabelle Lee and Ben Thomas have, neither of them have managed to make the coveted list of 32 random people <laughs> that the, the Russian. Uh, government has... Do you think the Russian embassy in Wellington was basically had, like, five minutes to Google 32 people? I literally did, a search right. for, like, NZ plus Russia. Hashtag
0: um, NZ poll Russia,
1: Derek. Right?
0: Zelensky is cool hashtag. Yeah. Uh, Band. Mayor of Dunedin, Aaron Hawkins, found himself on the uh, the blacklist, Chuck which might on. which might put him offside with the, the green left. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to that. Um, no disrespect to the green left. We'll get to that. We'll also, we're going to talk about cost of living stuff and maybe a bit about political donations. We're going to absolutely motor through this podcast. Thanks to Jane Yee, the, uh, the czar of all podcasts, who's just handed me a note. Which says, mention Annabelle wearing a mask. She's a bit muffled. Could can you give us I just a say, sample there, Annabelle, of their muffledness?
1: Can I just say about this mm. mask? Remember, like a few pods back, and Ben was trying to roast me about his my mask, which was like quite a pretty one, while he wore his mask in his hand.
2: I believe it happened.
1: And he said, I need a better mask. Now I've got the better mask. Yep. I literally feel like I'm going to, I'm I'm like dying in my own carbon it's emissions. It's so effective like, um,
2: it's, that it. It actually restricts all air. Yeah. All noise. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm Jane has given me this note, I think, because she Tiahya is um doing something else at the moment very important. Um and so she's fitting it and she doesn't want to have to to, for people to go him to Te to come back, go, oh yeah, no, you didn't. You sort of um, didn't quite get the. Um, the Will get, we'll get
0: slammed on Twitter for like mixing down the yeah. wahine toa.
1: They do that to meet all white the white men time.
0: putting lower put in your lower You yeah. put your Carly Rae T shirt
2: around her microphone or something. <laughs> like, <the> classic, <laughs> Japes and the GBL pot. Look, um, Ben, yeah. You were in the newspaper recently. I was. It's uh, listed <laughs> as a popular pundit. Did you see that?
1: Annabelle? I did. And fi- I'm like, fi- why this truth
0: I? from the
2: mainstream media. <laughs> it said popular pundit on the spin offs. Uh, well known, gone by lunchtime.
1: Known, podcast. Gone well by lunchtime no, I
2: don't know if it did. I think it, it said. Did.
1: it said well known. It- it- oh, and I was it? like, oh, okay. oh my But gosh. well
2: known is kind of neutral, isn't it? Whereas popular, they like, didn't say on he the popular, popular. Po- he's popular.
1: We're well known. I felt
0: like we're being attacked.
1: Oh, see, I was like, I didn't even know people knew about us. Oh. This is very excitable. We're,
0: um, we're huge in Wellington.
1: Love you, I was, I was down in
0: Wellington the other, the other week for longer than I had expected because of their inclement weather, which <laughs> trapped us all like refugees there. Um, and gone by lunchtime, massive.
2: Massive. Tell us what that story was about. Ben, what's going on? You're joining the Massive Pundits Super Corporation. (laughs) Is that what it is? It's like a whole lot of people who love talking about politics on television and radio, but need to pay for it somehow.
0: (laughs) Pretty much. Is that what it is? Um, I've joined a firm called Capital GR, uh, which was started by... Uh, a guy called Neil Jones, who is mm. a former chief of staff of the mm. Labor Party um, and includes uh, Hayden Munro. There's another director there. He was, uh, of course, Labor's award-winning campaign manager in its yes. 2020 election route of pretty much everyone else and New Zealand democracy. Yes. Um, they're both also, uh, enthusiastic blowhards like me who yeah. like to have their opinions heard. That's, uh, that's separate from the business, uh, which is sort of, you know. Is lobby- Hey Clint Clint in that group too. Uh, hey Cl- Clint, yeah, Clint Clint yeah, works yeah. with, works hey Clint there Clinton. as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. uh. It's um, you know what, what, did, what did they say in the newspaper? We're, expand, we're expanding the firm up to to Auckland and no, yes. trying to cover a broader swathe of uh, the political spectrum. Uh, it, it is important to note that punditry, you know, whether I'm doing it, whether Neil Jones is doing it, whatever, is that's that's just a personal hobby. That's that's nothing to do with business. So, in the, but because of course, you know, I've always taken conflicts of interest very seriously. Um, I, my personal policy is I don't talk about clients. Uh, I think Neil's the same. Uh, if something comes up where there is a conflict of interest of any sort that, mm. that we're talking about unavoidably, I'll either say that uh, you know I'll say I've got clients in this area, to, you know, bear that in mind, or I'll dive out the nearest window to avoid commenting.
2: Or it will be or be or be defenestrated by Annabelle and Toby. You're- it's a
0: yeah, it's. I have been meaning to talk about whether we could move the podcast studio onto the ground floor mm. of the spinoff. We're quite high up here. It's the high. The, it's a historic building, so it's got quite like high ceilings. <laughs> <laughs> and, so even though, even though, technically we're only up one flight of stairs, so it's quite quite a long way.
2: It adds a certain element of danger, I think, to the podcast.
0: Okay, well, it's good to know,
2: and it's good, it's important uh, that listeners understand that Ben. Doesn't talk on matters. Ben is comp- as compromised interest. as
1: he's always been.
2: Uh, I mean, he's compromised in a range of different ways, but when it comes to clients, he uh, <laughs> let us know in advance we don't talk about it, or he brings it up along the way. Annabelle is um, <coughs> is dying. Uh, Sorry. The the other thing, let's stick with sticking with Ben. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you the other day, Annabelle unearthed a box of. I think the technical term is old stuff, and there was a flyer for a Ben Thomas campaign to be international officer at AUSA?
1: Officer for International Affairs, was it?
2: It was quite a piece of political communications, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. It It was was his early work and always the most valuable
2: And I think if I'm describing this right, I don't have it in front of me, but it is seared very much into my brain. It has a picture of a young Ben with a globe, and he has his hand on the globe, much like a Charles Atlas or uh, a Saudi or Trump on the golden orb. Oh, there it is. It says, nya ha, 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 at the top. Tell us about it. Oh, then it says at the bottom, what does it say at the bottom
1: It says, vote Ben Thomas, International Affairs Officer, 1998, because it's a small world after all.
0: That's a visual pun. So... Uh-huh. Yeah, the I think that was that was my first ever uh, political campaign that I was involved in on mm-hmm. behalf of myself. <laughs> uh, still, the second least successful that I've ever been involved in after least Act Twenty Seventeen National effort. <laughs> How did that go? Uh, I didn't win. Mm. Really? Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't know. I won some elections later. I became the, the editor of Kraken. I was the media officer, whatever that is. Um yeah. Was
1: that, uh, so is that after Bomber you became the editor of Kraken?
0: That uh that was sometime after Bomber. That was a number of years after Bomber. Um but that that it all I don't know, my, my greater political success also coincided with not having a sort of kind of half mo- cut, mohawk kind of haircut, like sort of I would like shave the sides and then oh. sort of there was a kind of it was kind of like a very flat raccoon like Mohawk mm. yeah and is that um, it was oh, very yeah, cool got, at the yeah, time yeah, I feel you've like
1: got, yeah
2: Has that I informed your political advice since very cool I mean is, is haircuts a big part of the advice that you routinely dispatch to your clients yeah.
0: I look I I, I mean look you know, if you see how well Christopher Luxon has done since he shaved off his mohawk,
2: yes, then... But that wasn't you know, advice so much as inspiration, <laughs> was it? Hey, uh, speaking of AUSA, which is often so sort of very democratic it elects everything, including media officers, international officers, editors, often to its own detriment, uh, take brings me to the Green Party, <laughs> <laughs> which is extremely democratic and... Uh, uh, Sometimes, some may say to its own detriment, but it's, it's fantastic that it's very involved and people are very involved. And one result of that was the weekend before last, I think, if I'm right. We're talking now, I should say this, in terms of making, getting the housekeeping done. We're speaking on Wednesday the 3rd of August, shortly before 10am. James Shaw, this morning, is going to appear in a car park in No Bay in Wellington where he's going to announce the National Adaptation Plan. But... Last weekend, weekend before last, he was having a bit of difficulty with his own membership. There was an AGM that was held. It was virtual because of COVID. They decided not to do the IRL version in Christchurch. So, a very, 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 very pared back affair, certainly as far as the public-facing part was concerned. They weren't even doing speeches. And then a press release arrived on Saturday afternoon, I think, and the news was that James Shaw... Was being asked, in effect, to reapply for his own job. That is, that is to say, that more than twenty five percent of delegates, uh, specifically thirty two of one hundred and seven voting delegates, had said, "We want to reopen nominations
0: uh, for the for the non or not necessarily woman." Co-leader.
2: That's right. They changed the rules a few months back, which meant it used to be uh, uh, one male, one female. Now they've got one female and the other one, uh, and not necessarily not,
0: female. Not, but also they, is, well, they, they need was, to have a male leader it was as well. But they do need to have a male leader. And but Madam Jack uh, Davidson is at least one of those. Yes,
2: uh, and one of the one of the reasons that's important in terms of th- some of the coverage, there were various theories uh, r- r- that were floating around uh, that there was some plot that meant that this was opening the way for Chloe Swarbrick to 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 become co-leader, uh, which uh, she ruled herself out um, as has, as is the entire caucus now, and so we have a situation with um, James Shaw's opponent again as Ron, i.e. Uh, reopen nominations. <laughs> And he will again go up against I'm pretty sure they've closed now nominations. So so it doesn't mean he's out of the woods. Like he could still it could still be that more than twenty five percent of delegates say reopen nominations, which would mean in effect that he would be he would he would have to have to resign, I think, from that position. This is Annabelle, one of those the way this is played is it's kind of one of those perennial issues in politics and party politics, not just in the Green Party, but perhaps more pronounced in the Green Party than in many other parties, which is the tension between the purest uh, radical side of a party and the more pragmatic uh, or moderate, these are all useful to some extent only terms. Is that how you see it? Is James Shaw uh, an example of someone who is being punished for... Being too pragmatic,
1: well, I actually don't think he is. I think he's being punished for, um, for for creating the perception that he has abandoned the Greens' true kaupapa. I mm. think that this is an opinion poll on his um, on his emissions reduction scheme and a vote of no confidence in it. And you can understand why because any scheme that doesn't include the dairy herd and agriculture is frankly ludicrous, and you don't have to be a hardcore, lefty, full-on Green to know that. That's just practical common sense. They're the largest emitters yeah. in the country. I think that for the, the, the more uh, left-hand side of the party, though, that the Greens have always been committed to addressing climate change, but in a just manner. Not a manner that um, that punishes Indigenous people, and so I think when he tried to essentially punish Maori for having pine trees on the last vestiges of their land instead of native trees, um, that would have got him offside with some of the party as well. So I think that this isn't necessarily a, a war between you know the the far left of the party and and um, the more pragmatic. I mean. What's pragmatic to me seems, uh, well, I think most people would agree, is addressing our, our, our dairy problem and, and the scheme doesn't do that. So I think it's a call um, by the party to um, for him to take their concerns a bit more seriously and to do the mahi that he's been put there to do.
2: I guess the question on the mahi, Ben, in part is what more could or might he have done in some ways, the criticisms, and the, he said that what I need to take from this is to be listening better to the party, and he's acknowledged that. Um, but the reality is that we have a majority Labour government, and we have they have a cooperation agreement, which many in the Green Party, I think, I think this 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 can be can be you can join dots between what happened at that AGM and and that cooperation agreement, where it was would the Greens have been better is part of the question, isn't it? Simply to remain in opposition slash crossbenchers rather than this sort of slightly ungainly one foot in, one foot out arrangement.
0: And it really depends on what your metric of better is. If it means um, feeling better about yourself as a person and your moral purity and your own ethical status, sure, yep, that it would probably be better to stay outside and just throw stones and say not enough is being done and organise protests and march with schools, climate strikers, whatever. Absolutely. Um, In terms of do you get better results uh, in terms of inching towards that ultimate goal – of, you know, zero carbon emissions in New Zealand by having James Shaw there. Of course, I mean, he's much better qualified for that job than any of his Labour counterparts. Jacinda Ardern was pretty quick coming out saying that he would maintain that role, even if he was no longer the the Greens co-leader. Now, whether that was strategically sound, tactically sound, rather, of her or not, uh, that was simply the truth. You know, he is the best qualified Labour and quite probably national (laughs) Minister for Climate Change. Mm. Uh, He understands business, but he, he is very committed to, you know, the Co-Papa. Where, 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 you know, the, the, the issue was pretty pretty well crystallised, I think, by Nando Tanksos, who was, you know, not only a very, very principled MP for the Greens uh, in the early 2000s, but also um, a very effective one, working on select committees, but somebody who really struggled being inside parliament. And you know, he, you know, sort of um, infamously kind of threw away his wristwatch when he resigned from parliament and said, "I won't need this anymore." Didn't he like, smash it with a hammer? Yeah, 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 I think yeah. so. And and he came out and said, "You know, look, we've got to make a distinction between the people who are in parliament and the people who are outside." Now, Nando ultimately came down on the side of him personally wanting to be outside parliament. Mm. But clearly, still recognising that you need those people inside Parliament as well, being propelled along by the more radical fringes. But honestly, you don't you don't get anywhere by being outside and throwing stones. There, there is more of a perception, I, I, I you know, in terms of is it a left you know, left centre, whatever pragmatist sort of factional battle. I think the perception is that James Shaw is not as concerned with social justice issues you know, there, there seems to be this sort of idea that you could almost hive off James Shaw as a sort of Labour subsidiary, dealing with kind of fringe issues like climate change, while the rest of the caucus concentrates on core green environmentalist business like mm. um, progressive gender <laughs> politics, um, universe, you know, um, higher benefits, things like that. Now, those may or may not be very worthy causes, but they're not, not—they're not strictly speaking, environmental issues. Um, and I think it was Luke Malpass at, this, at Stuff wrote that, you know, the Greens benefit from a sort of his, an accident of historical branding where they are essentially a far-left parliamentary party uh, with an environmental brand name.
1: I think that um, I have a different view on, you know, what you what you're able to achieve in government versus what you can achieve in opposition, and I think mm. that history shows that the road to hell is paved with coalition deals <laughs> and when and when parties um, um forget what their raison d'etre or move away from their raison Mm. d'etre they're punished for it by voters and you know United Future to be honest what was their raison d'etre who knows but New Zealand First and the Māori Party so I think that probably their grassroots members are probably acutely aware of that and that this is, that his emission scheme does look like policy drift Mm. when you cannot even say cows are the problem that's a problem but I, I also think that we shouldn't undervalue the power of opposition. Um, and if you look back at the Greens' track record, particularly under Matiria and Russell Norman, they were able to achieve all sorts of amazing things from, from opposition. So I think there's a, a fine line between wanting to be in government and all of the resource that, that comes along with that and the influence, But but um, but... You know, also not losing your co or mm. the the aspirations of your co I, I, I think I, I, I think that's a big part of it. The thing that I think is interesting now is that twenty five percent of the party say that you know they're not happy with him. I've heard some people railing like twenty five percent. That's not democracy. Yes, it is. It's the constitution. Constitution's a part of democracy. If twenty five percent are, un, you know vote that way, that's what can happen. But now that none of, all of the MPs have ruled out running, what, what message does that send to their grassroots membership? Like, um, you're not happy, but we don't care? I think that, you know, probably there should have been a bit more strategizing with the people that that put up their yeah. vote about ensuring and, that they and, had a candidate ready to roll. Well, but also it doesn't seem like the MPs in Parliament have really heeded that call or taken it very seriously. I've not seen anyone, you know, come out and say, look, we understand, um, but we don't feel the time is right or, you know, we've got to get through this. Like, none of that's happened Publicly that I've seen, and so yeah, it just makes you wonder wonder about the is there a disconnect between the parliamentary branch of the Greens and the rest of the party, or what's I going mean, Te on? I mean,
2: Tiano and Tiano Tiano and Elizabeth Kerekere have both, you know, and, and Chloe Swarbrick to some degree have all said we need to listen to the members mm. um, better, and I think I wonder whether I wonder whether by you know the fact that Tiano Tuijnor did not. Rule out, you know said i'm thinking about mm. it mm. suggests to me that he may be thinking about it again and the and you know whether it's next year or after the election the the fact of the lack of it being a, a coup like i mean you know there's been a various amount of commentary around that it is interesting it's this there's, a, there's there's a coup underway, but you can't really have a you know the old um, maxim that that he who who wields the knife shall not wear the crown. Well, no one wanted the crown, and there were a whole <laughs> bunch of different knives. And in a sense, that suggests that it is a real thing. It might be a group of Young Greens and a group of uh, Green Left Network combined. But they were sending a message, and you could make the argument that that's actually the system working reasonably well, until such point, of course, as they crater in the polls, if that were to happen. Um, I thought, Ben, the other interesting thing was, was that um, – Uh, uh, Kevin Haig was on the Detail Mm. podcast and he was speaking in defense of James Shaw. And he said one of the things, one of the reasons he decided to talk about it was that James Shaw had defeated him in the leadership campaign. Um, and his, his read on the message that was being sent was that they, that, that James Shaw was judged by the membership to be more electable in the broader sense. And that, that, that it was a sort of irony that now he was in effect being punished for being, uh, able to reach out to 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 a wider voter base, and this is
0: a really important point, which is that the Greens, who are now polling around sort of ten percent and have, have been steadily, uh, you know, th- their their activist base and their membership is actually a very very small part of that, and the Greens, you know, have, have said it a number of times. I think they've said publicly, their their vote stays high when they're not in conflict with Labor. So this idea that by sort of more strongly differentiating themselves by calling labour, you know, soft on the environment and and, and by whacking labour all the time, over over you know uh, twenty years in parliament, that has not worked for the greens. Oh, you know, in a polling sense, it, 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 it actually is the sort of thing that brings them close to basically electoral. Analysis. But then we come back to that. I think you
1: can attribute that 10% to James Shaw's leadership. I think that that 10% is accumulated support over decades of demonstrating that they're a party that kind of has their shit together, that they're not flaky, that they're reliable. And actually, it's probably more the Chloe Schwalbrooks of the world that are, that are bringing in vote. And let's remember she's the only one with an actual state rather than necessarily the pragmatism of Shaw.
0: That, that's absolutely true. But remember that the Green Left dislike Chloe Swarbrick as well. Some some, some of
2: them do. She's, yeah, not, she's, I, I, she's not a member of that, that particular group No, I don't no. Think, and, when, and when their, rating, when their opinion, ratings when
0: their ratings came out at the last election, they had they her well. So, so you know, and, and I don't think anyone would argue that she's not principled and that she's not out there to achieve things or that she's just sort of trying to mollycoddle the middle classes. But, you know, you, you, there, there's no sort of there's no easy answers for the Greens here. But in terms of, you know, saying they're a party that's got their shit together, well, you know, the last week or two suggests that maybe they don't, you know, in terms of the the, the voters <laughs> there get them to 10%. Um yeah, you know, obviously they did better win. say so uh, so uh, so I, th- well. I
1: actually don't think it. Like it's interesting for us because we're into politics and all of that shit. I actually don't think it's a big deal in the wider scheme of things. Like it's a little bit of argy-bargy. It's not like a. Mm. It's not like national and all their leadership dramas. In fact, in some ways, you could argue it's a sign of a healthy, a healthy party.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll we'll find out more about that. I'm I'm reminded of something I learned from reading Gareth Hughes' book about Jeanette Fitzsimons, which was that there was a remit in the early, I think it was the early days of the Green Party rather than the Values Party that preceded it. Values Party, of course, founded 50 years ago this year. Um, but there was a remit at one point that... And when they were discussing the leader, leadership, because, of course, at one point there were no leaders in the, in the, in the Values Party, the leaderless party. But the idea was that, in fact, everyone should be a leader and every member of the party should be the co-leader. And so that's why like <laughs> several, several hundred people who, who are officially the go So that's just, I mean, there's something, something, yeah. something to consider. Let's talk about the cost of living payment, which has um, attracted a fair bit of heat in this week, it was meant to be a great big moment for the Labour government. It was the sort of centrepiece flagship <laughs> headline announcement of the last budget, wasn't it? That there will be a $350 cost of living payment to the what we talked a lot about the squeezed middle became known as that is people who weren't um, who, who not not for beneficiaries no but people they're
1: fine. under seventy
2: under 70k not receiving uh, winter energy payment I think it was um, so that rolled out the start of this week the IRD were tasked with uh, doling it out and turns out that it went to quite quite a few people around the world <laughs> including do some reckon, quite well-to-do people who were saying, oh, well, look at that. Do you
1: reckon Christopher Luxon got it in Hawaii?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so.
2: I hope so. I was thinking what they should do with this, just to try and solve another problem, is that if you don't return the money and you accept it, then you are immediately obliged to uh, train as a nurse and then <laughs> nice. come yes. return to New Zealand yes. as they're in the fine print and come and help out. Um, it was meant to be 2.1 million people got it. So far, it's only about, one point four million, but also this, but, this, but, but this to make extra, up the, 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 the <laughs> geographical <laughs> spread is much greater. Well, it's, a, it's a, it's you know, it's a global Swings global market. Um, ben, yeah, obviously the National Party has latched onto this. Yep, and you, we've heard very, very clear talking points, particularly from Christopher Luxon this morning. You rubbish, shambles. No plan disrespecting taxpayers. Very clear. It's like I think they were written in vivid on his wrist. (laughs) But, like, why not, you know? Patrick Smelly (laughs) was on the radio yesterday on Radio New Zealand saying, Patrick Smelly is not given to hyperbole, uh, said that something like this can be political poison because it's very easy to get your head around. It's, uh, it's, It's seen as attracts that point of fairness. But it also goes to these questions around ability to implement... A plan uh, or a policy? Yeah. Is it what do you? Is it is it a is it a cock up or is it a beat up?
0: Well, it, it, of course it's a cock up. Um, you know the idea that you've you know the, the government you know even over the weekend the prime minister when Jack Tame was talking about you know uh, you know other governments' measures to combat inflation or to help people through inflation In an interview with the prime minister yeah. yeah create more inflation and the prime minister said no because the the cost of living payment is very targeted. And so no. now, of course it won't create inflation in New Zealand if it's going to London, it might actually help us on the relative tables <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we're, we're creating we're inflation the, around the, spin, spin, the world yeah, <laughs> the UK. it's one way to win the league tables right but um uh, you know but it, but it's it's clearly it, it's clearly not targeted i mean the, the reports I've heard of you know people getting it um they almost just sort of seem kind of completely arbitrary they, they certainly don't seem to have been particularly uh, rigorously cross-checked, you know, according to the data sets. Um, David Parker came up with a figure yesterday and said, oh, it's probably about 1%, mm. 1%. 20,000,
2: that would but, be. But, you know? but as,
0: far, as far as he can tell, there's no, there's no basis for thinking that. I mean, Well, we, I think we he
2: indicated even... that's some advice he'd had from
0: yeah, yeah, but, I mean, it's not, it's not clear that in land no. revenue you know what's going yeah. on here either. So, you know, if if it's just people, you know, if, if everyone who's got like an IRD number yeah. and once lived in New Zealand and has a bank account registered with IRD is getting, I mean, you know, I can't, I don't know how to, you know, I've, I've, I'm putting in some questions so I to try and find this out. But, you know, in terms of, you know, is that all student loan Debtors who are overseas, it's hundred thousand people. Or people you know? who've
2: lived here for a while. I mean, they, they have to. They have to.
0: They have to. They have to supply a bank popular pundit, debate. Annabelle Lee uh,
1: Can I just say, in terms of David Parker, if you guys want to read the sickest burns hmm. about this issue regarding David Parker, you should read Claire Tremet's, um opinion piece <laughs> in the Herald yesterday. Oh, it's it's really literally L O L funny. So good. Um, Yes, it is a cock-up, but I mean, I guess that's to be expected when you're turning a piece of policy around so fast and you're entrusting IRD to do it. Yeah. Um, I kind of think it kind of goes to the crux of the issue that this government has, which is that while it's awesome to give whānau in need more money, it's literally fiddling around the edges. Yeah. like, And it is inflation tanga there 's no yeah. doubt about it i mean i 'm not an economist, <laughs> but I enjoy aromatherapy as much as an ex person, <laughs> and even I know that it 's inflationary but um you know why is it that the government this i mean spending okay well why haven 't you sorted out the supermarkets? The plan for it does not go anywhere near far enough the problem that we have with energy in this country and fano being charged ridiculous amounts for power why is there no regulate why isn't there stronger regulation all of those types of things would help to make the cost of living a lot easier in this country without having to dole out money to backpackers in france so it just seems <laughs> r- like such a lost opportunity. The other thing is like, how about spending that money on wiping out all debt with ones? The fact that families get charged mm. for being an emergency accommodation, that they accrue that as a debt that when they get like a a, a a food grant, they have to pay it back, is absolutely ridiculous. Why are we not wiping out their debt? That would be a more targeted spend of this money.
0: And, and this is the thing, right? You always, you know, since time immemorial, in terms of political spending, you always get, you know, when I was growing up, when I was running for international affairs officer at Auckland University, you know, the comparison would be hip operations. It'd be like, how many hip operations could you buy for this waste of government money? Now, if you've got... If you if you sent that payment to a hundred thousand people who you know are overseas or aren 't entitled to it or whatever well that 's exactly the same amount of people who are getting um, the the the, the uh, job seeker benefit who weren 't eligible for it, who actually are struggling with inflation because if you 're on the job seeker benefit by and large you can 't ask for more hours or uh, ask for a pay rise you 're on a fixed income, so you 're actually struggling with inflation more than people who are in work, you know the squeezed middle so uh, you know, then those comparisons become inevitable. You say, well, why, you know, sure, maybe, maybe a hundred thousand people, maybe five percent, maybe that's an okay cost of doing business. But then you look at the opportunity cost, which is you could have paid that same amount to all of the beneficiaries, you yeah. know, who, who, who don't get it. I and mean, who all the poverty groups are fairly rightly up in arms about. So, you know, th- this is, this is a big problem for the government. One, because it invites questions like that. Two, it just shows more managerial incompetence um, and more rushed decision-making, which this is a result of. Um, and, you know, and, and and worse, you know, it's quite possible that they overestimated just how grateful people would be for 350 bucks.
1: The only person that's come out of this looking great is Nicola Willis, who is making an... A, a, powerful case for why she should be the leader of the National Party. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that turning a positive into a negative perhaps, and it is true that the Andrea Vance's Blue Blood book does uh, end with a mischievous <laughs> Nicola Willis is waiting in the wings. I don't know yeah, if that's... You, are you quoted in there? What's that? Are you quoted in there? Am I quoted in the book? Yes, I am quoted in the
1: book. Am I quoted in the book?
2: I'm assuming you're one of the many insider sources. (laughs) Um, I just want to say before we move on to Nicola Willis that I'm not a fancy downtown political strategist, but I think maybe one of the reasons you weren't elected International Affairs representative on the Auckland University Student Association was talking about hip operations. I don't think that is part of the core copapa of the International Affairs function. Anyway,
0: anyway, I, I remember one of the, I think Model UN was a big issue.
2: Nicola Willis has done really well, right? Like, she, she is, pre- I mean, she's been so good at hammering those. Are you going, Annabelle?
1: I've got to go, but I love you guys. Have a great have a great rest of the pod. What about political she's donations?
2: we Are going to talk about that? Okay. Yeah, you guys this are. Just-
0: she's running. She's, she's, gonna she's done. She's, she's heading out. to her photo. She's, gone. she's, she's gone. going to take a flight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nominations. <laughs> nominations <laughs> close. <laughs> Auckland <laughs> Mayor,
2: Annabelle Lee-Maper. What do you think? See you, Annabelle. Bye. Bye. Um Okay. Willis uh, has been has been really impressive, and, and again, I mean I, the 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 Lux and Tipoki thing was, I think, a twenty four hour wonder, and it, it was another thing. That it would, it,
0: it's a funny sideswipe column. Yeah. I don't think it's really a big political scandal.
2: Um, but but okay, we're leaving to one side any of any, any attempt to do scuttlebutt on on the leadership. It is true that Nicola Willis has performed really well since taking on that portfolio.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think anyone, but both as finance spokesperson, but also as deputy leader, yeah. um, I think Luxon's really allowed her, or well not allowed her, but the two of them are, are working very well together as a team. And I think that was, um, you know, actually going back to Andrea's book, um, Blue Blood, which everyone should read. So, if, you know, if, if you're a political tragic, how sense, many of very the exciting.
2: unnamed? Uh,
0: Background comments come from you? Uh, probably none. None. Yeah, I'd say none. And sure. And the—I mean, I wasn't around for that time, no. so you know, I—I I wasn't an insider no. No. in um no. in the. In the Bridges Muller collapse. Actually, that's well, everything era. was fine. I mean, <laughs> which which is about ten years. Track
2: <laughs> the collapse of the party to your
0: departure. Well, well, no, no, that's not right because I left in 2014, and um, they're obviously still pulling very strongly. I mean, pe- people. I
2: know, but that's probably the point at which John Key looked around him and thought, "Is it worth it?"
0: Yeah. <laughs> There were there people, a lot of people forget that. You know, Bill English actually won forty-five percent of the vote. Mm. You know, he he did a he did a great election campaign. Mm. Um, and you know, National was still very strong to that point. Totally fell apart afterwards, you know, as the wave of these things. But you know, hope, hopefully for them on the way back up now. But it, you know, it, it was a reminder of just how well Key and English work together as a team, and that's something that's really been lacking, you know, in the, in the opposition with the leadership-deputy combinations. In opposition in particular, sometimes you get into this thing where, yeah, the, the deputy is somebody who's basically just waiting their turn for this or the next schmuck mm. to fall over for them to take their chance. And that was alluded to, you know, that, The Wilderness, which was a podcast by Lloyd Today, our friends at Today FM. Yeah. Excellent podcast, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually really like the podcast. People should go and have a listen to it because yeah. it's retold through the eyes of the gallery journalists. And it's actually really interesting because in most political sort of memoirs and stuff, you know, like the ninth floor. There
2: are politicians on it too. Oh, yeah, yeah, too? yeah,
0: a few. But, yeah. but on the ninth floor, you know, you had these prime ministers in a very, former prime ministers in a very reflective mode, looking yeah. back at their lives, thinking about what they could have done differently. And you actually get a bit of that on the uh, you know, from these former gallery journalists who are now today FM hosts. Mm. You know, Patty Gow does these sort of mea culpas and it's <laughs> sort of like, oh, I feel a bit bad about how I treated David Shearer, you know. And Duncan Garner said something like, you know, David Shearer is a good bloke. There's something about him that people just liked, people just warmed to. But we in the media, we went for his weakest spots. <laughs> and it's actually really interesting. Anyway, mm. so that's a total side note, but but it is very important to, if you can get a good leader deputy dynamic. And Luxon and Willis, the way that they're working together, certainly suggests that this is the best combination they've had since Key and English.
2: Yeah, he Annabelle's back. If you've forgotten her phone, <laughs> she's, forgotten her phone. <laughs> she's not happy. She's not happy. Her um her spectacles are all fogged up because of her mask, uh, and she hasn't she hasn't breathed for several hours. The donation stuff, let's just touch on that briefly before we it's leave. An to be honest, most people have turned the podcast off. They're only here they... for Annabelle. <sighs> donations. Uh, the, there is a case underway at the moment, uh, over donations to National and Labour. But immediately before that, there was a case, uh, relating to donations to the New Zealand First Foundation.
0: Where two persons <laughs> unknown, two persons were unknown, whose names permanently suppressed, were and prosecuted, and 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 the outcome of this case was basically, uh, you know, basically gutted the electoral finance laws in New Zealand, and essentially said that. While it's very important for the party secretary and the party organisation, you know, the National Party, the Labour Party, the New Zealand First Party, to keep strict and accurate records and declare all of the donations that they get for, you know, helping this political party and spending on them and any kind of chicanery or, you know, or failing to declare or declaring the wrong amount or not declaring on time, you know, that's a big problem for you and you'll be in trouble and, you know, possibly even criminal charges... But if you just set up an organisation to one side with a similar sounding name, like the New Zealand First Foundation rather than the New Zealand First Party, it can receive as much money as it likes. Which so it can we're spend talking about the party and its candidates and its campaigning, and it doesn't matter and it doesn't have to be declared. Like it's an absolute bullshit fucking
2: rule. The though. Ben and Thomas, standing for the International Affairs Officer, set up. There were rules, let's just say, yeah, I think about you, how you, I think
0: much you could you'd be donated. If you'd set
2: up the Ben Thomas Foundation. And then a whole lot of people had donated a whole lot of money to that, and then the Ben Thomas Foundation had in turn donated money to Ben Thomas's campaign for international affairs officer. Okay. That's the kind of workaround loophole, call it what you will, that was seen to be in play in that trial, right? Yeah. And and Kerry Allen, the, who's who's recently uh, became the the Minister for Justice, has announced that there was already some legislation that was going through, which was going to reduce. The threshold over which you needed to name from fifteen thousand to five thousand. Sort of, there are some other details around there, but that's the essence of it. They've now, she's now said that they will include in that uh, another amendment which uh, addresses what is what the, the definition of what a party donation is. Mm, yeah, and that seems. I don't think anyone can reasonably argue with that, can
0: they? I mean, it's got to. It's got to be closed up. It makes a mockery of all the law. Um, this is, you know, this is actually the second time. The second time with the same party or the same, also entities associated with the same party. You know, it, we saw this in two thousand and eight. Brian Henry, uh, Winston Peters' personal lawyer, received I think twenty to fifty thousand dollars from Owen Glenn. who was a rich donor, and that was paying for Peters' legal fees. And you know, that was the argument. It doesn't have to be declared because it's not a. Um, because it's not, it doesn't have to be declared. Because it's not a donation to the party. It was just used for Winston Peters' personal legal fees. There's a big wrangling about that. Ultimately, there was a privileges hearing into whether Peters had personally declared it in his register of pecuniary interests. But you get into these sort of side tangles and trails. You know, at the very least, you'd hope that there was some sort of privileges issue that arose out of uh, out of this failed court case. But you know this. This just has to be. This has to be uh, stopped. You know the, the, this. 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 Uh, it's not even a loophole. It's just a door. It's <laughs> just a doorway through <laughs> with an arrow and dollar it's a, signs. It's a. It's, it's a, a.
2: It's a giant bejeweled gazebo.
0: It's, it's not so much a loophole as a giant fucking roller coaster <laughs> the, um, that costs fifteen thousand dollars to get on. And <laughs> you know <laughs> the, the, the the I mean,
2: the other thing, which the um, point that Max Rashbrook made which who's, he's done some, some really good work on this. So is Graham Edgler, who's wrote a good piece for the spin-off on this issue. Yeah, very good piece by Graham. Um, he said that the other thing that needs to be put in there is a general anti-collusion provision, basically a vibe rule, which is to say <laughs> that if the vibe is you're donating money to a political party, then you need to, you, need to, you know, go along with that vibe. That's the, that, that, that would be nice to see.
0: Yeah, that's right, and you know the, we see this tax law is the same as this. You know, in terms of tax avoidance, um, you know you you, you can um, uh, you know tax law is the same. It's a vibe check in a lot of cases, and case law develops around it. But you've got to have these kind of catch all provisions because the thing is, we do know this when we look at it. The judge knew it when he looked at it, and he just decided that you know on a technical you know on the technical reading of the words somehow this escapes and. I mean, look, my, my, my only dreams in life, are the abolition of, my only political dreams in life are the abolition of local government and to see every member of New Zealand first led out of parliament in leg irons to a prison. Um, and, you know, we just have to keep on dreaming.
2: Well, I would like to conclude this podcast then with Winston Peter's response to this in which he defended strongly and rejected all of Ben Thomas's Nonsense is vitriol. And he quoted Michael Cullen. Did you see that at the end of the end of his press release this week? He's, he quoted, quoted Michael Cullen's uh, words uh, in parliament at some point in the past in which Cullen said, we won, you lost, eat that. And so. I, I, th- there he, he there also, he,
0: I think he also said the only victim he is here were democracy and the people of New Zealand, and I think I agree with him on that. Well,
2: there we go. <laughs> um, many thanks to spinoff members. Uh, thanks to Ben Thomas. Thanks to Jane Yee. Thanks to Annabelle LeMather, who is currently tearing down the hills of Morningside. We will be back before you know it. Kaki kite